Influential podcast dedicated to the profession of pharmacy with over 80,000 listeners worldwide. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Today's conversation is sponsored by AsureCare and Prescriptive. AsureCare is a healthcare technology that empowers payers, providers, and pharmacies to work efficiently and effectively together to deliver better patient care outcomes. Prescriptive Health offers a suite of digital tools built by pharmacists for pharmacists, which helps independent pharmacies schedule, report, and improve operational workflow. And now here's the host of the Pharmacy Podcast Nation, Todd Urey. I can't think of a better topic to really dive into on the Pharmacy Podcast Nation than that topic of trust. It's an interesting time in 2021 where we all witnessed something that none of us had experienced personally, and that is this pandemic and how the pandemic has shaken the trust of the consumer based on so many facets of not only information, but Current events, um, our our election processes and politics, and and what is fact and what isn't, what's fake news and what isn't. And to me, someone who has trusted pharmacists since 2004 when I entered pharmacy, and I trusted pharmacists not because they're a pharmacist per se, but for the data that I was extracting through pharmacy management software and systems and reporting to look back on that data and see that the outcomes of medication management and medication therapy and medication coaching and consultancy was was changing things. I literally saw patients recovering from conditions that were uh, a major issue to their health. And it was based on the constant um, attention that that pharmacist was giving them in the long-term care space, in the community space, especially the specialty pharmacy space. Today, we're gonna be talking about pharmacists answering the call from their communities, providing patients access to trusted care during this COVID-19 crisis and beyond. And I am excited to introduce three pharmacists to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. I'm gonna introduce Dr. Tara Fund, PharmD, Product Manager of AssureCare, Welcome, Tara, to the show. Thank you so much. So a little bit about myself. I'm excited to be here today. And, and again, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, as a pharmacist, I've spent a lot of my career in the community pharmacy practice settings, really what I've jokingly called trailblazing various pathways. I started off doing the first PGY1 community-based residency out in the West Coast in Oregon, Southwest Washington area. And I really became passionate about a a lot of things during that year. But one huge aspect that I picked up on is how important it is to be change agents and really design innovative patient care services that will really help push our profession forward. Back then, it was still exciting and innovative to be readily providing services such as vaccines and medication management, maybe even some point of care testing. But over the years, I've also, being out in the West Coast, been lucky enough to be able to also leverage prescriptive authority, help manage patients with acute needs and conditions and chronic disease management, all from a community pharmacy practice setting, and even start to help address community and public health needs like prescribing of uh, patient care services. And so 
along the way, I've also realized how important it is to actually get paid to provide these services. And so that's what I've really recently been able to really be engaged in is some various pilots with pharmacies exploring the aspects of standing up payment for patient care services. And it's been really rewarding to be able to help uh, my peers practice at the top of their license. So thank you again for having me. You're welcome. And what a wonderful way to lead into prescriptive. Uh, the VP of Pharmacy Program and Policy uh, is with us. I want to introduce pharmacist Paige Clark to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Welcome, Paige. Thank you so much. We are delighted to be here with you today. Um, Tara has just been such a tremendous asset um, to be able to partner with. And she and I have been partnered in a variety of ways for um, recent years. Um, my background is kind of a nice um, uh, sort of uh, counterpoint, I would say, to Tara's in many ways. Um, I've been a pharmacist for about 35 years, practiced in very traditional settings, including long-term care for about 11 years, um, changed pharmacy, independent uh, retail pharmacy as well. But there was a pivotal moment in my career in which I was working in a large chain and ran across some really interesting components that drove me into working in regulatory um, components, working for the board of pharmacy for about five years. That's um, been very instructive and very informative to my career because I really began to look at our profession from the standpoint of legislative legislative enablement and regulatory enablement and understanding how very important those components are in moving forward our profession. I had the great opportunity while working for the Board of Pharmacy for about five years to move forward in partnership with public health entities, various components of our profession to enable pharmacists to expand their scope of practice, particularly in areas where you assess a patient and then prescribe independently and autonomously under very careful um, safety parameters. From there, I was very fortunate to go directly to uh, work for OSU College of Pharmacy in which I began to build out the enabling and benchmarking continuing ed programs that have uh, made it possible for pharmacists to move forward and connect with the payer space that Tara spoke about so that the benchmarking piece connects in there well and enables pharmacists to do these types of progressive um, patient clinical therapies in community retail settings. And I think that COVID in particular, which we'll talk about today, is a moment in time that we all have to, as pharmacists, grasp and understand the importance of the moment that we're sitting in right now. And we're, we're really delighted to be able to be here today and talk to you about that. Absolutely, Paige. And thank you for that. That really sets the tone for where are we going to be going today? And I'm also excited because we have a third pharmacist. I'm surrounded by pharmacists today. That's where I want to be every day when I'm on the microphone talking to uh, the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Kevin Russell, he is the Director of Pharmacy Clinical Operations for Prescriptive. Welcome, Kevin. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Todd. And I would like to confirm that uh, Paige Clark has made a dramatic impact in the state of Oregon and throughout the nation with continuing education in particular and educating pharmacists on progressive practice, which I have benefited from personally. Uh, my background is as a as a community pharmacist. I, I've 
owned an independent pharmacy. I've managed a retail pharmacy. I've been a regional director for a chain pharmacy and managed outpatient operations for a health system. And really my passion has progressed through my career to move pharmacy into the ambulatory care space to be paid as healthcare providers and to elevate our level of care and also the value we are providing to the health system for that care that we're providing. Um, so that is really my passion and what has brought me to my position right now. And I'm very excited for what I'm doing now because I'm part of a team developing clinical tools integrated with technology solutions, which helps to enable pharmacies to efficiently deliver clinical services and expand that line of business. And I'm currently standing up a community pharmacy pilot to showcase uh, technology-based clinical programs. So I'm very excited about that. And thank you for having me here today. You're absolutely welcome. I love this and I appreciate all three of you. We got to jump into this conversation. Uh, COVID-19 has been the biggest impact in healthcare that I can ever recall and remember. Um, and and the impact that it's made on our nation and our world and the lives that we've lost and the the scurry and the and the quickness of our healthcare entities to rush to do as much as possible to keeping our public safe and our community safe. So my first question goes out to Paige, and this is to really to launch this conversation. And that is, let's talk about COVID-19 in the community and generally its current state. Can you kind of expand upon that? Absolutely. Nothing has catapulted our profession into the center of communities more robustly than the COVID-19 pandemic, without question. Um, Kevin was nice to discuss, and, and Tara certainly mentioned as well, we've all collectively been moving into this space where pharmacies are recognized and they are leveraged for public health outcomes reasons. Whether it has been historically, let's just say birth control prescribing is, a, is an interesting lane to think about. Tobacco cessation assessment and prescribing is another interesting lane to think about. And, and those certainly have importance in public health, but there has been nothing like this COVID-19 pandemic to catapult us into the center of these communities, particularly when you consider rural and underserved populations that are served by their community, perhaps independently owned uh, retail pharmacy. We have seen these pharmacies be the center of trusted and uh, well-positioned pharmacists that perhaps are even second generation in certain communities that are that are points of access for care, for information, et cetera. Um, patients trust pharmacists. We all know that. And they can walk right in and see us. We all know the statistics that 90% of Americans live within five miles of a pharmacy. So true. Never has that been more important than 
of late when we're all banding together to help treat our communities. Our availability is true. We're open in some cases, you know, some pharmacies 24 seven. We're open weekends, evenings, et cetera. Um, the accessibility is crucial to providing quality of care for patients, including all the medication management, the monitoring of conditions, labs, vitals, using prescriptive authority as we're talking about. And yet this has still been pretty vastly underutilized until now. Hospitals and primary care are overwhelmed and completely understaffed. They need our community pharmacies in a way they've never needed us before. Public health needs us in a way they've never perhaps needed us before. And regarding COVID specifically, um, our retail pharmacies have provided tests early on in the pandemic. And then we transitioned to the vaccines. Now we've got boosters, et cetera. And this all started a literal tidal wave of service provision right in the communities where we need it, where these pharmacists who are as we know, com completely well-educated, well-immersed in our communities, we are able to do this. And with a little bit of support and training and a little bit of technology help, which Kevin uh, spoke to as well, um, really we've been able to lift up the capabilities of these pharmacies to incorporate these types of things into their daily practices in their retail pharmacy settings. That has been an interesting challenge that was literally thrust upon us very, very quickly. And we've all been able to partner in order to see that this happen. Now we have Regencove treatment and much, much larger uh, access needs that are coming, acute need for tests, certainly. And we were called upon to build a, um, a fairly robust and significant continuing education program that we provide free ACPE accredited across the nation to pharmacists. We'll be happy to share that with you, Todd, uh, and give you access and all of your listeners direct access to that as well. Um, there's been nothing like COVID-19 and it has literally placed our community pharmacies at the center of patient care. Thank you for that, Paige. I'm excited to expand upon the ideas that you're sharing and the information that you're sharing for the listeners. I'm going to have those links um, to that, that information and a way to reach out to you in the show notes. Also, all of our guests' uh, LinkedIn profiles will be accessible. Tara, kind of expand upon what Paige was sharing about uh, COVID-19 in the community and generally um, the current state that it's created within our communities. Yeah, and what really helped us see uh, the tidal wave of change that she talked about was the federal legislation and the PREP Act and, and various announcements, and there's been multiple additions, most recently being around COVID-19 therapeutics, really helping support pharmacists in recognition of their value as important members and trusted members um, in the community. And one huge difference with the PREP Act versus what we've seen historically in pharmacy, um, I used to oversee clinical services across the country. And so I got to know all the state-by-state -state nuances. And what the PREP Act did was it level set nationally, everybody can do these baseline services. And that standardized care model that encompassed even technicians and inter interns, pharmacy interns across the country, was a very monumental change and hopefully the first of a larger permanent shift for our profession, as I'll talk about later today. 
But along with that level set of scope in during our um, emergency status, it came with it compensation pathways, technology changes, and pharmacy service uh, evolution that's drastically uh, evolved since March 2020. When you look at compensation, out-of-network claims are now permitted and are required for pharmacist providers. So they essentially ripped out the barrier of credentialing and enrollment and in-network status that's really held most pharmacists' hands behind their back in states with the ability to be in-network and states without. And they also included pharmacist providers in Part B coverage for COVID-19 services, as well as a covered provider under HRSA, which is a government program that covers underinsured or uninsured patients for these services. And that was a big, big change for our profession. We haven't ever seen across the nation this, but what it also did was have everybody turn to each other and say, how are we gonna bill HRSA? You, this is, we have to submit this on the medical side. We're in the pharmacy. And so technology had to catch up quickly. Uh, I did my first medical billing pilot back in 2015. And I'll tell you, trying to set up a pharmacy dispensing software with medical billing of claims in any capacity was near impossible. You could do it, but it was far from ideal. And, and I don't think there was a lot of movement, honestly, pre-pandemic to make it that much simpler. But what we've seen in the last two years is a big shift to where more and more pharmacies, especially as independent community pharmacy patient care centers, are starting to bill medical claims in addition to pharmacy claims out of their out of their computer systems, out of their pharmacies, out of that place of service of a community pharmacy. And it's so exciting because it's a really pivotal, vital step to really see this successful long-term. And then lastly, patients now across the board can say, oh, pharmacists provide these services. Because with a state-by-state -state model or a pharmacy, this pharmacy decides to offer it, this pharmacy doesn't type model, it's not the best experience for the patients. And they may or may not know or think of that pharmacy site as a, as a place that they can go to to be seen. And so it's really, really exciting that now really patients say, okay, I've seen the news. Pharmacists can provide me the COVID vaccine, the boosters, the Regencove treatment. They can help me with my, my test if I'm not sure if I have COVID or not. And they, they come to our pharmacies and they knock on our doors and our, show up at our canners asking for these alongside those prescriptions, which is a big shift and one that, that we've been waiting for for quite some time. And so you take all those things, you combine them. The current state of community pharmacy is at a time of change. And to me, what we're really starting to see, and right now it's still pocketed, but truly that, that new reinvented pharmacy practice model where patient care services that are compensated and, and asked for by patients and have technology behind them to support them are being provided readily. And dispensing isn't the core anymore. It's just a side part of it. And, and that's just super exciting for me. Tara, I just need to add and thank you for saying the, the component that is so important here is that this is nationwide and this has changed everything. Many of us who have been working in this space, Tara, you and I together for sure, and Kevin as well, um, it, it's state by state. And so even though it is common for, um, for one of us to say 15 states allow pharmacists to perhaps assess a patient and prescribe in some capacity, birth control or tobacco cessation or whatever. This is literally federally um, uh, supported and mandated and it, it has made all the difference. Terry, you're so right. It's about the patient's experience and the patient's expectations. That is what has really changed with um, the pandemic for sure. It's music to my ears to hear 
uh, pharmacists to understand that it's not about the prescription anymore. And really, it never should have been. It's always been about our patients. It's been, it's been about the people that are touched by pharmacists, who are cared by pharmacists, pharmacists who are doing things that go far beyond anything to do with the, the specific prescription and really the condition, the outcome, the challenges that, that, our, that our patients are facing, especially when we're talking about um, you know, disease state specific um, issues. And I think of the, the opportunity that we have here to, to take what this pandemic has shown the nation and and really the, the, the world of what pharmacists are capable of doing and bringing that to light. And what I was excited about is hearing and hearing is really expanding President Biden's COVID-19 action plan, which specifically includes pharmacists in it. Kevin, can you kind of build out um, what that, how that is going to impact our healthcare system as well as the role of the pharmacist? Yes, absolutely. Uh, President Biden's uh, COVID-19 action, action plan has kind of six prongs to it four that specifically call out or impact pharmacy. Uh, first is vaccinating the unvaccinated. And one of the amazing statistics that I just heard was that uh, of all of the COVID-19 vaccinations given in the month of August this year, 70% were given in a pharmacy. And so what does that tell us? That tells us who are who were these people that got vaccinations in August? Well, most of these people were the vaccine hesitant. Where did they go to when they were finally decided to get vac vaccinated? Who was it that convinced them to get vaccinated? Uh, it was community pharmacies. And it's interesting because I was talking to my neighbor who was a uh, vaccine hesitant and the, he ended the conversation with, yeah, well, you know, I guess I better go see John. And John, I said, who's John? John's my pharmacist, right? So he, that was the first person he thought to when he made the decision, I think I maybe should get vaccinated. He's going to go talk to his pharmacist. So that's amazing. And the uh, pharmacies are a big part of the our government's plan for getting the unvaccinated vaccinated. They know that we can get this job done. The second prong is to further protect the vaccinated with booster doses. The FDA and CDC recently aligned on this for populations who have received the Pfizer vaccine. And so we're really at the start of another wave of vaccination with boosters and more are coming. The third prong is increasing the testing coverage and availability. Even people who have been vaccinated we're going to, everyone's going to need to be tested. People are going to start having symptoms. They're going to need to be tested. We need to have testing centers everywhere and particularly testing in pharmacies because that is a, the, one of the best access points for our community. And the fourth prong is improving care for COVID-19 patients, specifically treatment with monoclonal antibodies in the community setting, which includes pharmacies. And in the state of Oregon, we've already gotten started on this. Uh, and community pharmacy really had previously established credibility with the state of Oregon as 
healthcare providers who are providing solutions in our communities. And even before President Biden's action plan was announced, the State Health Authority and Board of Pharmacy reached out and started working with us and our and pharmacists to develop pathways for administering COVID-19 treatment and post-exposure prophylaxis. And we've been able to develop training CE, a state protocol, a support for a system for pharmacies on implementation strategies, including turnkey policies and procedures. And now we're setting them up for reimbursement through medical billing with all payers too. So uh, there's a lot to do there for pharmacy. Thank you, uh, Kevin. And I appreciate that background, especially the example in Oregon. Paige, I really want to dive back into something that you prefaced, and that is really the legislation. The, the you know, as much as I am an advocate for pharmacists, and we understand at the state level, different states do things just slightly different from the boards of pharmacy. However, the collective at a national level is under it has an understanding of what pharmacists are capable of doing now, especially with the public really seeing what's what's taken place since the pandemic broke out. And I think of CMS and I think of um, us evolving from that prescription per pay to the outcomes per pay or the value-based per pay or consultant role, the consultant practice role of what a pharmacist is capable of doing. Can you kind of expand upon some of the legislative changes uh, resulting from COVID-19? Absolutely. And, you know, many of these were, were begun, um, I would say, probably about seven or eight years ago, we really saw an upswing in states, public health departments being driven by their legislators in their state legislatures, right? Understanding we need to we need to leverage these community pharmacists in a way that we've never done before in order to achieve public health outcomes, whether it's decreasing unintended pregnancy rate, whether it's uh, decreasing those who utilize tobacco products, the outcomes from those in, uh, in sheer dollars saved has been a powerful message to walk into legislatures with. They, legislators, understand this, certainly, as do policymakers. There's been a shift. And what's really interesting is to now see how conversations are changing state by state by state, and certainly across the nation as well. And understanding that, oh my gosh, if pharmacists can do this well, certainly they can do X, Y, and Z well as well. That's what we're seeing. So while it's true, and I did mention earlier that we have at least 15 states that have moved toward enabling pharmacists to um, assess patients and prescribe either under state protocols, um, perhaps under collaborative practice agreements, but more and more so looking at how you can enable pharmacists to do so in a very independent and autonomous manner with the overlay of safety bumpers, as I like to call them, from the regulatory body, from the boards of pharmacy that are um, that are directed to do so by their state legislature. And so I think what we are beginning to hear and see and feel and experience is that all of this momentum that, that we had started seven or eight years ago in these various lanes has absolutely taken off. You're certainly um, very astute in saying that it is about the outcomes and outcomes-based pay. Ultimately, if you do a contracting component with 
commercial payers, for example. However, I will also have to say there is a very real path in uh, to into reimbursement in every single state through the Medicaid payer. Medicaid payment is controlled state by state. You can go in and as I like to say, and Tara laughs at me when I say this, but crack open the Medicaid payment codes for assessing a patient in a certain lane, as I like to think of it, in the birth control prescribing lane, in the tobacco cessation lane, in the PEP and PrEP lane, for example. And I think that those who perhaps were more reticent to fully embrace the fact that community pharmacists are the most underutilized and underleveraged resource to make these things happen are now in a position where they need they need to utilize our independent retail pharmacies and our and our community practitioners in order to get the COVID-19 pandemic you know, really under under control, if you will, as Kevin walked us through a few moments ago, very, very well. It is accelerating this understanding. It is it is transporting people's thinking about these community pharmacists. And they are they I believe we are going to have tremendous opportunities for legislative activity at every single state level coming out of this and the willingness and support to pay pharmacists for these clinical services. Um, again, we started, it was evidenced in our profession, um, but I believe we're seeing a permanent ground, sh ground shift here of what is happening in a really, really meaningful manner. Legislators around the nation had begun really reaching out to ask how, for example, in Oregon, in Colorado, in some of these other states, we had positioned both our legislation and our regulation to safely and effectively support pharmacists providing these services. Services. We're very well educated and certainly the most expert professionals at managing medications with really minimal and focused training such as CE, which is where I've really focused some time here in the last you know, 10 or 11 years. We can all provide these public health focused services to patients and we can really dramatically impact the health of our communities by doing so. Thanks, Paige. That was I couldn't agree more. I think that all the things that you just talked about, the record-breaking number of bills we're seeing passed in states, and, and truly that a lot of this work started prior to the pandemic of the bills supporting pharmacists prescribing services has been really monumental. And now we're finally at the point where we're seeing bigger movements federally that are more permanent. Um, we're starting to see the approach to say federal provider status. How do we ultimately reach federal provider status for pharmacists and have CMS reimbursement opportunities across the country for all the services within our state scope, even beyond the COVID-19? And that's really been introduced recently in what we call the Federal Provider Status Act and really will change how pharmacists can provide that care to the medically underserved populations and the medically underserved areas and remove those unnecessary barriers for them from accessing the healthcare services from their pharmacists. We've seen so many wins, as you just talked about in terms of scope, and we've also seen a lot of wins as we you kind of alluded to around payment. And while we'll, federal provider status is one piece, we also wanna to continue to encourage those state wins as well so that we can have uh, the scope evolve and grow state by state while we've got the federal provider status recognition. We're up to um, over 30 states in the Medicaid's recognizing those pharmacists as other licensed practitioners and being able to enroll those providers and reimburse them for services under the medical benefit. 
We've got nine states that are requiring commercial health plans to reimburse pharmacists for covered services in their scope of practice, and seven of those at equal payment. So really, really big, exciting changes. And so there's two approaches to how we accomplish this and how, how we continue to take the, the foundation that COVID laid and, and move us forward. And that's the state-by-state state pay, payment parity laws and then just generally across the blanket federal provider status. And this is really ultimately, I think, going to be the perfect recipe for pharmacies to have that sustainable model of care and really help contribute to improved outcomes and really ideally start to see payers coming to them and saying, can you help me manage my patients? Can you help me improve my quality measures? How can we partner together to make our community healthier? And I think we're right at the beginning of that and the legislation that we needed you know, right now it's, it's it's emergency rulings and we're at the point where we've got our ninth amendment to our acts definitely showing us they're recognizing they need us, but it's all temporary. And so the, those those shifts both federally and state will be really, really important for us. Tara, I'm glad you brought that up. And the additional points kind of play into this next question or, or concept that I need vetted. I need pushed out pharmacists to do this for me. And that is, there are services that pharmacists are providing. I think of community pharmacy specifically that have such a huge impact, just as big as, as an impact on the patient's health as the substance of the, of the prescription and the medication itself. It's, there's a two part to this. There's the humanism side of this, and there's the physical medication in the impact on the patient's condition, whether that's chronic or, or not. And I think of the services that the patient doesn't have time to go through in medication reviews, um, organ, uh, an example of a, a patient that may be suffering with opioid usage disorder, as well as a, um, a, a, a serious case of diabetes, and how if the, if the pharmacist had the time to slow down and ask the right questions for that patient, they could make such a huge impact on that patient. So Kevin, I need to hear from you and bring you into this and really understand, you know, we have services that community pharmacies should be doing because we know as pharmacists and as clinicians and as data nerds like me, that when the pharmacist performs those services, it has a great impact on, on the fee for service, on the outcome of service and on, on really helping that patient's life. So what are your thoughts or comments on, on that aspect of healthcare? Thank you. Pharmacies are busy. And when, they, when a community pharmacy considers adding a clinical pharmacy service, really the first thought is, is this sustainable? Can our business support this service? Do we have enough staff? Will it pay for itself? And even if the service is viable, you know, our staff is already burned out. How can we possibly add something else? This is a real problem and must be acknowledged. But technology offers many solutions. Services have traditionally been very manual and labor intensive in the past. And there are now capabilities which take care of registration, appointing, documentation, billing, reporting. Um, and if I may digress a little bit and really get on a soapbox, you know, pharmacists are well-trained as healthcare providers. They're trusted and they're accessible in the community. And they're also proven to be effective. 
And health systems know this already, and they are integrating ambulatory pharmacists to provide clinical services in all practice settings. Well, now we have a lot of these great things coming together for community pharmacy. Payment is here. Technology is here. It's time for community pharmacy to look like ambulatory care, especially in independent pharmacies where there is patient access and great relationships where they can really do the most good. And I know what the barrier is. It's the monkey on all of our backs of those 500 prescriptions that must be filled every day. They are the source of the burnout and the busy in pharmacy. Well, we need to use technology to automate the dispensing, the patient communication, outsource where we can, out, outsource verification. There are many technological solutions now. But really the future of independent pharmacy, or the future of community pharmacy is our role as paid healthcare providers. Now is the perfect time to start that transition. So let's talk about the other aspect. And I don't want to over overlook the fact that there's this clinical side. We're talking about services for the patient. Let's shift back to clinical support and reimbursement to really help the clinician burn out in support. Because coming from that, I'm thinking of our technicians, I'm thinking of the impact on the operations, and definitely the pharmacists. So Tara, can you kind of explain upon that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that the biggest piece that we can do to help clinician burnout and in general, the fourth aim of healthcare is improve staffing. And the best way to improve staffing is going to be money, right? We need money. We need reimbursement to pay for our team's time. And so if you think about all the things that a pharmacist does in a day, and I uh, working with pharmacies now, we're starting to just really reflect truly of how often this happens. Pharmacy team members, technicians, interns, pharmacists give advice, look at wounds or burns or other places sometimes they wish they did not have to look and give patients advice, refer them to places of care. And yet all this time, the only thing that they're getting paid to do is sell a product. So if there's not a prescription sold, they didn't get reimbursed for that. Even though they use medical decision making, they use their cognitive school skills that they went to school for. And yet all of these patients coming in with questions, especially during the pandemic and, and uh, primary care being closed, they, they went to their pharmacists and asked questions. They called their pharmacists. Pharmacists had to make decisions on prescribing refills. And yet again, all of these components are only reimbursed by that product. And so it just really, really highlights how important it is to be able to start documenting and billing for those clinical services as, as a medical provider on the medical side. And so to make that happen, you really have to be able to understand and support the whole process from start to finish, which is something I also realized early on, even pre-COVID, um, all the different pieces that come into getting paid for services. And now we've got patients knocking at our door. COVID services are easier because we've got some great federal legislation supporting doing them and getting paid for them. But in general, it's far beyond COVID. Um, you, you've got this opportunity here to get paid for the, the cognitive services pharmacists provide. You just got to get the help getting that foundation laid. You got to think about things like patient engagement and scheduling, credentialing and enrollment support, or maybe the ability to support out of network claims, having documentation platforms flexible and that can capture payment models and like quality-based measures and value-based care that I talked about and then submit those claims and ensure you get paid. 
pharmacists today really do assess a holistic patient and all of their medications and all of their con conditions every day. That's what their that's what their job is. But with fair compensation, that's when we're really going to see the documentation and the outcomes of it and change the pharmacy profession from articles highlighting the burnout to, uh, to a story of inspiration and a reinvented profession. And that's what I can't wait to see. So, you know, Tara and Kevin, you're mentioning some of the amazing things that pharmacists should be doing beyond that prescription. And we all know that we're, we're speaking and singing to uh, the choir that be. But I'm thinking of the gap that the patients understand of what the pharmacist is capable of doing and coming to the pharmacy for those services, those specific services, that there's a gap there between the physician and the patient and the pharmacist. And that is, you can only go see your primary care so many times. There are other things in follow-up of that treatment that has been prescribed that if you went to the pharmacist, you could get that healthcare and that consultancy and that. So Paige, goodness gracious, how do we get the patients to understand and to know that these pharmacy services are available to them? We so appreciate you asking that question because I will say, uh, Tara and I have been partnered on a number of projects and there was a moment in time when we realized we need to leverage technology to drive patients to these pharmacies providing these clinical services. You are absolutely right. One half of the equation is definitely supporting with technology, getting our pharmacists leveraged so that they're able to do this efficiently, effectively, and be paid for this without question. The other half of the equation is, is lighting up that information for patients. And I will say that is what prescriptive um, health does like nobody else out there, truly lighting up the availability of these services and a mobile device and driving them to those pharmacies. It's really how our entire society operates now, right? Everything is really off our handheld mobile device. So having that Google presence, patients can find appointments, they can fill out paperwork from their phone. Um, this is how our consumers, our patients like to do business now. Um, we've built an incredibly robust capability at Prescriptive to show patients how to find the services they're seeking, make an appointment via their mobile phone, pre-fill out all of the information that we need to have when they walk in to provide a service for them. It's been a huge gap historically, not knowing where these tremendous services are offered and managing scheduling. The pharmacists are very stymied by the thought of how to manage the traditional distributive functions that we all are very familiar with. And Kevin was very right about, about saying, look, you got 500 prescriptions of distributive functions that you're doing. How do you go about rolling in new clinical services? And you've got to have an organized functionality to provide that structure and the support is essential. That is the solution that technology can bring to our pharmacists coming at it from the other side. 
we need to provide pharmacists with this patient information in advance. It minimizes the crowd around filling out forms with their, you know, uh, their pen and their and their clipboard. It saves time at the counter. Patients really appreciate the efficiency of this. It enables a service to vastly more, to provide it vastly to more patients. Take that burden off the pharmacist at the point of patient entry and allows that healthcare professional, the pharmacist that Tara was so great in, in talking about here, it allows you to focus properly on the patient and the care of that, that patient, whether it's testing, whether it's treatment, whether it's immunizing, et cetera. So these are simple product-based services, um, vaccines, COVID testing, you can bill right out of the scheduling tool. And it's a terrific example of how this works very, very well for pharmacists. Paige, I'm glad you mentioned that in, in really prefacing what I wanna ask uh, Tara about. And this is so fascinating that we have an opportunity to leverage technology to simplify and stage what, what the pharmacist is capable of doing, but we have to leverage that kind of technology. So Tara, let's talk about the support uh, in credentialing and enrollment. You know, if we can't get pharmacists plugged in and community pharmacies plugged in, um, you know, then the, the technology is not worth what it really can do. So can you talk more about that with us? That is my favorite topic because I have come to realize that is probably the biggest gate that is holding community pharmacy back. Um, practicing in Washington, we saw the payment parity law in 2015. We've got amazing scope with collaborative drug therapy agreements, but yet we still don't see pharmacists readily billing for services six years later. And being in network is what will really change the game. And so I am really excited that we've got a pharmacy-friendly focused solution out here to support that. Um, I want to note for COVID-19 services, out-of-network claims, uh, like I talked about earlier, are permitted. So that means you don't actually have to go through credentialing and enrollment, but it is logistically much more clunky to bill that way and is still going to be limited to COVID-19. And so to really expand beyond that, we've got to become in-network providers which would enable us to bill medical claims for services provided really within our scope is the goal there. So there are steps to become a net in network provider, including the paperwork you have to complete, as well as learning the supplemental materials um, that each payer needs. The payers vary sometimes even within the same payer by line of business, the requirements to be a network. And it's a long process too. Three months is happy path. And I'll tell you, having lived it alongside pharmacists, the things that are asked for in a provider application can go back a long time, five years, 10 years, maybe your whole career. And so for some of our more seasoned pharmacists, it takes quite a bit of time to dig out those old license numbers and old malpractice insurance information. And that's why when you look at other provider types like nurse practitioners and physicians, they use companies to help with this. And it's time now for a pharmacy-focused solution that combines both support and technology to help pharmacies really trailblaze to, through leveraging these payment parity laws I talked about a few minutes ago and make sure that payers have pharmacist providers as one of the options in network and really be able to have pharmacists providing readily a robust menu of patient care services and showing their value and their outcomes. 
So I think about the real world, the reality of all this, and part of that is the documentation of visits and the ability to make sure that we're collecting the right information to align that with some of the regulations and ICD-10 and the whole world of documentation. So, Kevin, can you kind of talk about documentation and, and as a part of, uh, of this overall uh, approach and, and initiative? Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, documentation is important. We are healthcare providers. We need to document like a physician would document, right? They have uh, they have platforms and tools that help them do that very efficiently, and so pharmacies need to be able to do the same thing. And kind of what's great about the platform that that we've developed is that it has solution from start to finish of the entire process. So as part of scheduling, patients are able to complete all necessary paperwork, for example, intake paper questionnaire, get that done in advance. And then the pharmacist can document in the platform when the patient arrives um, and, uh, you know, all inside of one, one solution. And patients will record key pieces of information. Like for example, if we're talking about uh, administering monoclonal antibodies, for example, they can go in and enter their vaccination status, COVID test results, symptoms, health conditions, all in advance of a visit, all on their mobile phone or their home computer. And then at the visit, the pharmacist will document vitals like blood pressure, pulse, respiration, oxygenation, record that. And then the pharmacist will review the information to determine eligibility, make a shared treatment decision with the patient, and then prescribe and administer treatment as, as appropriate. And that can all be documented in the platform. And when complete, then that information is there and the necessary components for a claim can be pulled out and be sent on for processing. Tara, tell me more about the processing. Um, what does that mean and how does that work into this? Yeah, and it's what it is, is it's really medically billing. Um, it's typically called practice management systems, which is sending an electronic claim over to the payer. But then there's another half of it that I think sometimes we aren't used to thinking about in pharmacy, where with pharmacy, we get paid immediately for our products that we sell, which is called revenue cycle management. Payment from, from medical claims is delayed. It can take multiple weeks to come and sometimes even months, especially for out-of-network claims. And so the revenue cycle management aspect is um, does work such as denials management and claims management, and then ensuring that the payments are actually deposited into the account. So it's really kind of both of those pieces combined. And those are things that for the pharmacy profession, going back to the what I spoke about earlier, of really pharmacy needing that entire package end to end, credentialing and enrollment, billing, the medical codes for the various services that you provide, and then ensuring payment from the payers. Um, we are burnt out already, as we've talked about today, and we need to make sure that we leverage support processes for these. And so I think it's um, processing a claim is just a tip of iceberg of a larger solution that will help support the pharmacist. And so that's what's really exciting about what we're talking about today, because it'll take that claim and transmit it, yes, but it also make sure you actually have that payment on the other side. Any day that I can talk to a pharmacist, not to mention three pharmacists, 
and the evolution and role of what a, a pharmacist is truly capable of doing is a good day. And this has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. And I thank you all so much for participating and for sharing. And I really want to ask just one more, any parting thoughts on the long implications of COVID-19 in pharmacy services, or really a shift in the in the uh, profession? Uh, Paige, you kind of alluded to, to some of this uh, through some of the policy that you were that you were mentioning. Can you kind of expand upon that? Oh my gosh, yes. Thank you. This is our moment in this profession. We need to seize it. We need to do it collectively. And we need to not let go of this opportunity. We have never been needed by our entire public health community, statewide, nationally, et cetera, like we are right now. We need to seize every single opportunity. And that's every pharmacist out there. We need to immunize. We need to test. We need to administer monoclonal antibodies. You're going to be paid for your time to do this. You're getting the product provided free by either federal or state government. You just need to access the technology tools that are available to help you. You need to do any required CE, reframe your staff's focus on helping you do these services and dive in. We are literally all in this together. It's this moment that we're at. Our profession has been saying for decades that we want this moment. It's here. It's time. And very fortunately, we can all help you. We all take calls, emails, et cetera, every single day, getting pharmacists the support that they need to leap into this literal new era that is advancing our profession in a really meaningful and profitable way. Tara and, and Kevin were both very clear about the fact that this is essential to patient care. Um, I certainly, you know, bang the pots and say this is important for public health outcomes, but it is also imperative that we are very clear that it has to be profitable for these pharmacists to spend their time in this way. The patients benefit, our public health partners benefit, we benefit professionally and economically. We have never been needed to serve our communities like we are needed right now. This is a complex and ever-changing environment with boosters, various eligibility requirements for various treatments, tests, and therapies, all overlaid by the always rather cyclical and present flu season. You take all, the, all that momentum from flu immunizing and we maximize what you really are doing for your patients right now and overlay all of this. You're going to need a technology solution. You're going to need some partners to be successful with this. You're right, Paige. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. Honestly, I think there's a few points that came up multiple times today. Pharmacists have proven for years, really, I think, but especially the last couple of years, how effective they are and how unique they are and how important they are as patient access points. And it is time now to help support the workforce of highly trained pharmacists and help us move to federal provider status, states with scope and payment parity loss, and really have that permanent place of service uh, of a community pharmacy come to fruition. But I would just echo Paige's comment about do the services. I think that's the third and final ask. We're at this time of change. I, I call it the tipping point. And we really are. We've got to dive in and show our value and show our utilization of these scope wins and these reimbursement wins and these changes in technology and execute on the opportunities out there. 
If you dive in, the patients will continue to come and the revenue will continue to come and you can continue to improve your staffing and really enjoy showing up to work in a whole new way and provide that excellent patient care. And generally, that's what we all went to school to do as pharmacists. And so I'll leave with that. Uh, go take great care of your patients today. And thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Thank you, Tara Page. Thank you, Kevin, for participating in this discussion. I want to uh, just give a, a shout out to Prescriptive for, for sponsoring uh, this episode and, and really where the practice of pharmacy is going. Pharmacists are the hub of healthcare. You take the treatment that is lobbed to you by the quarterback of our healthcare system, uh, our physicians, and then you run it. You run it to the goal line and ensuring that the outcomes are there and you're there for your patients. And this is important to us. This is important to our publication and our network. Please subscribe to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. We have 42 pharmacists giving us content every month, six days a week. It's an amazing organization to be part of. I thank you pharmacists for everything that you do for our nation. And I thank you pharmacists and pharmacy technicians for the dedication to your communities. We know it's not uh, easy. Please reach out to us for anything that you need. Uh, reach out on all social media platforms at Pharmacy Podcast or reach out to us uh, via email. My email address is publisher at pharmacypodcast.com. We will have show notes and links uh, in. Please um, you know, connect with our guests today. And with that, we, uh, we thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network.